Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. On September 12, 1995, McKay Everett disappeared from his home in Conroe, Texas. There was no sign of forced entry. It was just as if McKay had walked out of his own free will. And to this day, McKay's mother, Paulette, feels that justice was never truly served. Ransom is available now. Listen at ransompodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show and do not represent those of Tenderfoot TV and Resonate Recordings. All individuals described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matter such as violence and graphic descriptions, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. She got up and went to my mom's that morning. She was going to get a job at the IRS. She talked to me at lunch and said, uh, do you want to just go home and grab some clothes and meet me at your mom's and we'll stay all night here. And I, I thought that was weird. Why would I want to go stay at my mom's house on a weeknight? It just didn't make any sense to me. But it was weird because it was her dad's birthday too, you know. Just none of that made sense to me. I feel like that phone call means she knew. She knew something was up. Brittany Stikes and her unborn child were murdered on August 28, 2013, on Highway 68 in Brown County, Ohio. If she had had a normal day, we'd be more focused on that evening and the moment Brittany was killed. But this wasn't really a normal day for Brittany, and therefore, we need to focus on the entirety of it. Fortunately, we have a pretty solid timeline because Brittany stayed in touch with all her closest loved ones at various times in the day. So you're gonna hear from several people who together will fill in our timeline. Let's start with that morning. I'll have Brittany's friend, Samantha, tell this part of the day. She and Brittany spoke early that morning and they discussed Brittany's plans for the day. 
She said that she was going to go to Shane's mom's house to fill out this application for this government job. And um, Shane's mom is like, she's got to have the nicest of nicest things, you know. And curious minds want to know, like, I wonder what her house looks like. (laughs) So anyhow, Brittany and I were talking that morning. She said she was going up there to apply for this job, fill out an application. And I was like can I go with you? And she was like, yeah, you want to go? And I was like, yeah, I want to see what his mom's house looks like. To give a little more context here, Brittany was needing to fill out an online application for a job with the IRS. Neither the Dodsons nor Shane had reliable internet at their house, but Shane's mom, Kathy, did. So Brittany decided she'd take Aubrey and head over to Kathy's house to submit her application. And after talking with Samantha that morning, It was decided that Samantha would join them later on in the day, but that plan fell through quickly. I had called her later that morning, just a little bit later, and I thought, well, I'm not going to go with you because it was payday, and I had to go pick up my paycheck and pay my sister for babysitting, and I had to go pay some bills, and I thought, I I don't know what time we're going to be back. Brittany hadn't yet made it to Kathy's house, but she left home with Aubrey and was headed that way, driving down Chicken Hollow, the narrow, winding road she lived on. But before she'd even made it off Chicken Hollow, something happened. Well, she texted me and she said somebody in a van ran her off the side of the road on Chicken Hollow. And... I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. She was like, Sam, like, they ran me off of the road. At the time, Samantha didn't really know what to make of Brittany's text. But later in the morning, the two spoke over the phone about it. Samantha says there wasn't much to it, though. She just said that it was a male in the vehicle. And she was just, like, hollering out the window, like, you know, what the hell... You know, that type of stuff. I mean, she didn't sound scared at all. She just was just like, you're an idiot. Learn how to drive type thing. Let's do a quick recap before we move on. So, Brittany is driving down Chicken Hollow Road, which she lived on. Now, I'm not sure if she was heading straight to Kathy's house or if she had stops she had to make before that. But the plan was to, at some point in the morning go to Kathy's house and fill out that application. At 9.15 a.m., she texted Kathy and let her know she was on the way. She lived roughly 40 minutes away in a neighboring county. But before Brittany makes it there, and before she even makes it off the road she lived on, she texts Samantha and tells her that someone ran her off the road. Later, it's explained that it was a male driver in a gray van and he and Brittany got into a verbal altercation. This is really all we know about it. But Samantha says when she spoke with Brittany on the phone, she didn't sound scared or even concerned. She was just mad about it. And to her point, there's no record of either driver filing a report. So what does Samantha make of the incident? Well, she thinks it was just a coincidence and in no way related to Brittany's murder, which happened later that evening on Highway 68 about a 10 to 15 minute drive away. But I want to pause for just a second here before we get into the rest of Brittany's day 
because I don't want you to hear Samantha's opinion and jump to any conclusions on this. Keep an open mind, because we're going to come back to the road rage incident in a moment. For now, let's keep going. So once the altercation fizzles out, Brittany continues on her route. Before ever making it to Kathy's house, she has a brief conversation with her mom. Here's Mary. So I called Brittany. I said, Brittany, where are you at? And she goes, I'm on my way to um, Kathy's. Well, I said, honey, what are you going to do? And she goes, well, I'm going to go here, use the computer, and Kathy wants me to have dinner with her and everything else. And then she says, we'll be out for Dad's birthday. Aubrey and I will be. And I said, okay. I said, well, be careful. And she goes, well, I'm, I'm here now, Mom. And I said, okay, Brittany, honey. I said, I love you. And she goes, I love you, Mom. That was the last conversation I had with my daughter. Their conversation ended as Brittany pulled into Kathy's house. She and Aubrey went inside, got settled in, and to the best of our knowledge, Brittany began filling out the application. Eventually, lunch rolled around, and that's where Brittany's husband, Shane, comes into the picture. So I talked to her at lunch, and she, my routine was go to work, get off, I drove an hour and a half to home go to the gym, work out for two or three hours, come home, eat dinner, say hi to everybody, go to bed, do the same thing. That was my routine, basically. And so that's what was going down. You know, I, she talked to me at, at lunch and, and said, uh, do you want to just go home and grab some clothes and meet me at your mom's and we'll stay all night here? And I, was, I thought that was weird. Why would I want to go stay at my mom's house on a weeknight you know what I'm saying? It just didn't make any sense to me. So I said, no, I'll just, you know, I'll just meet back at the house. I'm going to go work out and go home and uh, eat. You know, she's had leftovers from there that she was supposed to bring home. I talked to an old friend that I hadn't had contact for a while on my way to the gym. And then I got off and went to the gym, worked out. I got home at like probably 10 till 9. And I pulled in the driveway, and, and she wasn't there yet. So I just thought, well, I thought she was at her dad's or whatever. And uh, I ate some leftovers that was not the leftovers that she was going to bring home. You know, there was other stuff in the fridge. I ate that, and then I fell asleep. All right, let's summarize. Shane started his day like any other. He says he had a routine, and he followed it almost to a T this day. It started in the morning. Shane drove one and a half hours to work at Star Manufacturing. He got off work around 5 p.m. Now, usually he'd drive one and a half hours back to his home, make a quick pit stop, and then drive to the gym. But on this day, he went straight from work to the gym, making one stop at a nearby gas station at 6.15 p.m., before arriving at the gym by 7 p.m. He was there for two to three hours, and I give that hour window because all we know is that Shane tells us he left there just before 9 p.m. But the police report says he left just before 10 p.m. But after the gym, he went home, ate dinner, and went to bed. Now let's backpedal a moment because I left something out of that timeline intentionally. Remember, Shane said that while he was at work that day, taking his lunch break, he spoke with Brittany on the phone. He says their conversation was strange. Brittany, who had plans to go to her parents that night for Dave's birthday, 
suggested to Shane that they should stay the night at his mom's house. He declined and assumed Brittany would join him later that night. Shane also says he spoke with Brittany one last time over the phone that day. I think I spoke to her right after work and told her I was headed to the gym, and then I got on the phone with my buddy, who coincidentally just lives right down the road now. But, yeah, I think I spoke... I think I spoke to her after that, you know. Do you remember how her. you left it, your last things that you said to each other? I always said I love you before. I, every day I told her I love you and you're beautiful every day. Now I want to go back and talk about that conversation they had over lunch. The one where Brittany allegedly suggested they stay at Kathy's house that night. Because if Shane of all people says it's weird and out of the ordinary then we have to ask, why'd she do it? Well, this is where that road rage incident comes back into play. See, Brittany didn't tell Shane about what had happened earlier that morning. Why? I have no idea. And neither does Shane. But he says that when he found out about it days later, he was able to make sense of that odd request she'd made. Because contrary to what Samantha thinks, Shane puts a lot of stock in the road rage connection. She knew something was up. She knew. They told her something. That is the key to solving this murder, is to figure out what happened on that morning altercation and who it was. What's the odds, you know? Come on. Like, you had a shitty road rage incident and killed and all in the same day? Hmm. Sounds pretty connected to me. Who normally drove the Jeep? She was at the time. She was driving it at the time because it, and all she was doing was going back and forth to her mom and dad's. And I told her, don't go, don't go above 50 in this thing because it had the infamous death wobble, you know? So I needed to put a stabilizer shock on it. And uh, she was just putting it back and forth to her mom and dad's and I was driving her van back and forth to work. Shane wishes Brittany would have told him about that morning incident. He says if she had, he would have taken his Jeep from her and given her back the van. That said, we don't know if the road rage incident was connected to Brittany's murder or a total coincidence, but I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about it. So go ahead and shelf that for now, and let's keep working through the events of August 28th, because there's a lot more to cover. As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood, but as you know, crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage and it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught. Crime is just waiting to happen, so be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe, the best home security system of 2024, according to U.S. News and World Report. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash culpable. That's simplysafe, 
dot-com slash culpable. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Let's get into the evening now. Brittany leaves Kathy's house just after 7 p.m. Aubrey is right next to Brittany, riding passenger, in her rear-facing car seat. It's raining as she drives through the town of Bethel after leaving Kathy's house. Again, she left just after 7 p.m. And at 7.15, she sends her mother-in-law the following text message. It's raining up in town, just a ways from your house. Aubrey was out five minutes ago. We don't know if there were any texts before or after this that could give more context to the seemingly random text message. But what we do know per the text, is that she was headed towards Ripley in the direction of both her house and her parents' house. At 7.32 p.m., a camera at the first stop Marathon gas station captures video of the Jeep driving through Georgetown. This was about 10 minutes away from where the murder happened and therefore is helpful in establishing a time of death. Again, whether she was going to make a quick pit stop at her home on Chicken Hollow or go straight to her parents' We don't know. The direction she was headed on Highway 68 is the same way you'd get to both places, so there's no telling. But approximately 10 minutes after that camera spotted her, she's driving southbound on Highway 68, a two-lane highway. It was just before sundown when it happened. Shots fired, five that we know of. A bullet that entered the left side of Brittany's chest and exited the right was the fatal shot. She veers to the left, crossing over the yellow line dividing the two lanes, before barreling down a hill over an embankment and through several trees, until the Jeep comes to a stop some 20 or 30 yards from the highway. Less than 30 minutes had passed when the Jeep was spotted. It was Craig and Sandy LaBelle, a couple from North Carolina, who were passing through the state en route to New York. Maybe the most unlikely of people, And not just because they were from out of state. What makes it even more unlikely is the fact that they only passed the Jeep because of a wrong turn Craig had just made. They were looking for a place to turn around when they saw it. And even then, Craig didn't just pull over. No, he passed it. And as he looked in his rearview mirror and saw the headlights shining out towards the highway, for whatever reason, one that he can't explain to this day, he turned around and went back. He pulled over to the side of Highway 68 got out of his vehicle, and started walking down the hill. There was that thought that ran through my head quick, like, it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) If you own this property right now, some car pulls up and gets out and they start walking toward you, what would you do? So I start yelling as I'm entering the woods saying, is anybody here? Hello? Craig doesn't get a response. He continues approaching the Jeep with caution. I just went over to the driver's side 
and thought, let me just look and see who's in the Jeep. And maybe somebody's in there. When I looked at the Jeep, it's got plastic windows on it. There was a little hole, I remember, through it. And I couldn't see good. So I put my face up there and looked through this hole. And I saw a girl in there. And she was just kind of slumped, laid back in the seat with her head tilted to the side. And I started to try and pound on the canvas door to get her attention, slapping it. And I'm not getting any response from her. And I realized something's not right. Meanwhile, back up at the side of the highway, Sandy is growing anxious by the second. She needs to know that Craig is okay. I hollered and I said, what's going on? And he goes, don't come down, don't come down. And I'm like, why, what's wrong? And he goes, it's an accident, it's an accident. There was an accident. And he comes up through with his phone and calls 911. Kenny, 911, what's the location of your emergency? Um, I'm not quite sure, I'm 168. Okay. I'm not from here. Okay. Um, We're about on 68? Outside of uh, Ripley. As dispatch tries to nail down Craig's location, he doesn't know what to tell them. He starts looking around for anything that could help them pinpoint him. And I spotted a green mile marker up the road, and I told my wife to take the car and go up there and get that mile marker number and come back. From that point, I went down back into the woods, and I was describing to them on 911 what I was seeing as I was walking in. There's a uh, jeep in the woods. Looks like somebody drove off the road into the woods, and they're passed out at the wheel. Okay. It looks like a girl, female, probably 20s, late 20s, maybe 30s. Okay, hold on a second here. I'm trying to triangulate your cell signal here to see if I can okay. help locate them a little bit better. All right. Is there anybody else in the vehicle that you saw? I saw one person. Just the driver? Craig walks around to the passenger side of the Jeep to double check. He was in a panic. Maybe he had overlooked something. I grab on that passenger door and I open it and there's a baby in a car seat. Is the baby okay? Yes. Is the baby crying? The baby's uh, bloody but it's conscious. The baby. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's all right. We're going to get you out of here, okay? Are you sending the sheriff's department? Or? Well, OSP is coming, but we're also going to be sending, we're sending a fire and squad out that way as well. And so I sat there, it seemed like forever, forever, before somebody came and then all of a sudden the one guy came in his pickup truck and went down to check things out. You were the fire department? Yeah, you're on the other side. Babies are already on this side. There's a fire department number there? Yeah, someone from the fire department here. Okay. Ask them to give them your unit number. What's your uh, unit number? What's your unit number? 4571. 4571, okay. 
The first responder was an off-duty firefighter from the town of Russellville. He wasn't dispatched, he just happened to be driving by. Craig walked him down the hill as they awaited additional first responders. And then eventually the, the rest of the world showed up. I mean, I never saw so many emergency vehicles show up all at once. And it's like, finally, you know, I don't know what took them so long, but thank God they're finally here. While all this was going on, Dave and Mary unknowingly sat on the back patio of their home with Emily, just passing time as they waited for the rest of their kids to show up for Dave's birthday. They were surprised that Brittany wasn't there yet, but waited patiently. And that's when they heard it. Sirens just start going off like a madhouse. And I looked at Dave, and Dave looked at me, and we went right off there to the yard. Not like, I mean, like we could see, but we couldn't see the highway. But just to just listen to Just trying to, to get an the, idea where they were going. Where they were going. They say they knew immediately something bad had happened. That's what you tend to think when you hear sirens. But they didn't mean it in a general sense. They knew something had happened to one of their own. We come back to the table, and I got a phone call, and I answered the phone, and it was Dusty. And Dusty says, Mom, where you at? And I said, Dad and I are here at the house. We're eating supper. He goes, Mom, something's going on. Something's wrong. He said, where's Tanner? And I said, Tanner's... Mary gets off the phone with her son, Dusty, and goes to call her other son, Tanner. But before she can, her phone rings. It's Tanner. I said, honey, where are you at? He says, I can't get through. I was on my way home and I can't get through. I said, honey, please be careful. And he says, I will, mom, I'm on my way. So he started coming home. And I looked at Dave and I said, Dave, it's Brittany. But we all we all felt it. We well, all you're not sure what's going on. You, you know, the gut feeling, I knew it was one of the kids. I'm thinking it's a car wreck or something of that nature, not what I came up on. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. When they heard the sirens, 
Dave almost immediately hopped in his truck and started driving towards them. When he arrived at the scene, he approached an officer and asked him, is it a yellow Jeep and a girl with long hair? The officer confirmed. He was also told that the passenger had been shot and was being rushed to the hospital. He knew it was his granddaughter. While Dave races to the hospital, back at the Dodson's house, the phone rings and Mary answers. It's Shane. He breaks the news. I took myself right over to that rock bench right there and I sat there and I prayed to the Lord and I screamed the loudest I could scream. My world was destroyed at that moment. And the thing of it was, I didn't get mad at God because God and I had talked a couple nights before. I'd actually seen it in my mind. I was asleep. I woke up a vision, dream, whatever, which I've gotten them all my life, of me losing my daughter. And I got up, I didn't want to wake him, and I went to the bathroom and I got on my knees and I prayed to the good Lord, you can't take my, my daughter away from me, Lord, you can't do it. And a peace come over me and I said, Lord, if, that's, if it has to be, I will raise my granddaughter, I'll do what you ask. I said, but I don't want to lose my baby. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, but I got up the next day and I had thought about telling Brittany what I had dreamt and everything. And I didn't. And I, that's the only regret I have, I didn't tell Brittany because my mom had a dream when I was young, married and had a child that I had gotten shot and killed in a vehicle on my way home. And so I worried about that for years. And come to find out, I don't think my mother dreamt of my death. She dreamt of my daughters. And I should have said something to Brittany. And I didn't because I didn't want her to live in fear like I did for the longest time. Because that's something that's, that's something that's been passed down in my family. We, we know things before they happen. And I should have said her and I didn't. That's the regret that I have. That same night, Brittany's friend Samantha learned what had happened. It was around 9 p.m. when she received a call from Tanner. And he said, Sam, she's been shot. And I said, who? Who's been shot? And he said, Brittany. And I said, what? What are you talking about? And he was like, Sam, Brittany's dead. And I was like, Tanner, you're lying. Don't say stuff like that. Like, what are you talking about? He said, Sam, Brittany's been shot. She's dead. Aubrey is fighting for her life. She's being taken to children's. He said, you need to get there. And I was like, everything... Everything just was like a blur. It was like I was in a dream. And I left the house immediately. And we were on our way to Cincinnati. And uh, the sheriff's office called Rick Haney, Detective Haney. 
called and asked me to turn around and bring my phone to him. He needed to see the text. She's talking about the text from that morning regarding the road rage incident. So I showed him the text and stuff between Brittany and I. And then uh, I went to Children's and uh, we were downstairs and I stayed there all night long. I never left that hospital. I sat there in the waiting room with Brittany's mom and dad. Of course, you know that after multiple surgeries, Aubrey survived. But Brittany didn't have that same fortune. Her life ended way too young, at the age of 22. Her unborn child was also killed in the act. Samantha has always struggled with this, and not just for the obvious reasons. There's more to it than that. Whoever did this, I don't think they knew that it was Brittany driving or that there was a child in the front seat. I told my husband I was supposed to be in that vehicle with Brittany. I would have been in the front seat. Aubrey would have been in the back seat. Would things have went the way that they went? Would she still have been shot? Would I even be here? I mean, there's so many questions. Those questions stretch well beyond the fact that she was supposed to be with Brittany that day. What she really wants to know is why someone would have chosen to shoot and kill Brittany, who by all accounts had no enemies and no reason whatsoever to have been attacked. I know when people pass away, you know, so many people are like, oh, they were such a great person and this, this and that. And Brittany was... (sighs) She really was a great person. There's so many people that were affected by Brittany's death. Whoever did this had no right to do what they did. You had no right. You are not God. You do not get to pick and choose what people live this earth. Do the right thing. At least have enough decency to give some closure on what happened. Culpable is a production of Resonate Recordings and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13, written and hosted by me, Dennis Cooper, and produced by Jessica Knoll. Executive producers are myself, Mark Minnery, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, and Payne Lindsay. Our senior producer is John Street. Additional production by Todd McComas. Editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Dayton Cole, Pat Kicklighter, Adam Townsell, and Caleb Melcher of the Resonate Recordings team. If you have a podcast or are looking to start one, check us out at ResonateRecordings.com. Our theme song and original score is by Dirtcore Robbins, with additional scoring by Dayton Cole. Our cover art is by Drew Bardana. You can follow us on social media at Culpable Podcasts. Show notes, as well as bonus content, can be found on our website, culpablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, 
rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information about the murder of Brittany Stikes, we urge you to contact the Brown County Sheriff's Office by visiting their website, browncountyohiosheriff.us, where you can anonymously submit your information. Or you can contact Sergeant Quinn Carlson directly at 937-378-4435, extension 126, or by email at quincarlson at bcoso.com. You can also submit your information through our website, culpablepodcast.com. Thank you for listening.